Happy New Year to everybody. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We're talking Penn State football. Buttoning things up from 2023, Penn State played Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. I don't know if you're aware of this, guys. They played Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl, and it did not go well for Penn State. 38-25, we're here to talk about that. Gentlemen, good morning. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, before we start football, Nate, what's the latest hoops update? We've got our specialty correspondents here, so we're going to start off with a little bit of non-football talk. Nate, what's up with the hoops team? I want to talk about Tyler Warren's neat catch. That was a really good catch. Which one? Are we going to get to that? The really good one. The one he run, ran like 75 yards. That was great. Yeah. Good Good play. Uh, hoops. Yeah. No, they're, they're playing. They, they're back. Uh, they play at Michigan State on Thursday this week, and then they have the Palestra game on Sunday. We have a an availability with Mike Rhodes this afternoon, which means, T. Frank, if you're up for it, mm-hmm. we'll, have a hoop, we'll have a Hoops podcast this week. Oh. Sure. I think that that'll that'll be great. We also have some wrestling information coming up uh, today. Uh, I'll be going over to uh, the the uh, what build the the I am the I am building. You'll be over at Rec Hall. Yep. Rec, Rec Hall. Hall. It's early. It's early in the year for me. Rec Hall to go talk to Kale Sanderson, uh, who apparently, uh, Greg, uh, two new commitments to the class of 2025. Six. Where are yeah. we? I'm I'm all around here. 2025, uh, T. Frank, two top 25 guys in a PA native, Nate Desmond. He's a two-time PAAA state champ. And William Henkel, uh, he's from Connecticut, wrestles at Blair Academy. Uh, two very talented wrestlers. And to your point about the news conference, uh, Penn State Wrestling is getting ready to get back into action. They are on the road at Oregon State uh, Friday night. So it's a, um, it's a full slate of... Uh... Sports talk here at bluewhiteillustrated.com. And of course, here on the show, we're going to be talking about the Penn State football team. Let's get into it, Nate. You want to start with uh, with that awesome catch by Tyler Warren? Um, is that your your major takeaway from Penn State Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl? I like I like how you started the show on a, on a like there there is still room for optimism with those <laughs> other sports uh, while Penn State football has to wallow for nine months yes uh, coming coming loss yeah they lost so that was uh you know interesting but look it's uh i i i tend to to view games right as things that are won and lost by players Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly um and i i understand there is a segment of penn state's fan base that loves to or wants to put things at the feet of the head coach, which is totally fine. I, I, I don't think that there's any argument about whether or not things start and stop with him. Right. They, they do. However, that the team that played on Saturday was not the team that Penn State had for three months of the season. Right. Right. It just it wasn't the same team. And and really to argue otherwise is I I just think disingenuous. So, you know, when when you're out, what I mean, what are we calling it here? Five opt out, like pure opt outs, like Olu didn't play. Kalen didn't play. Theo under limited reps. Caden Wallace didn't play in the second half. Curtis Jacobs didn't play in the second half. Chop Robinson didn't play at all. I want to stop uh, you there. Caden Wallace didn't play after the second series in the second quarter. Anthony Donko came in and played half of the second quarter as well. So it wasn't. It was a, a cameo appearance almost by Caden Wallace at that point. Right, and so it, it's it's almost like some of those guys made decisions to take. Um, I I hate to phrase it this way, but like take some of the heat off of themselves. They they were there. They they did the whole song and dance for the week and but look it's just it's not it's not a fair evaluation to judge a football team that is playing without eight (laughs) of its 22 starters i I just there's no there's no world where i can evaluate that fairly and i think that coming on top of the lack of your, your defensive coordinator that you played with all year. Yeah. It just, it just made it, uh, you know, somewhat of an untenable situation for Penn state. Greg, your thoughts, uh, about the game. What, what did you take away from that particular performance? Yeah. I mean, I think to Nate's point, you know, we wrote on 
all the days run together now, but I think it may have been Wednesday or Thursday of last week. It could have even been Friday. It wasn't Friday. It had to be Thursday. Um, that Adisa Isaac was asked about his snap count situation, and he said that I'm definitely playing the first half and then maybe dial it back in the second half. Well, dial mm-hmm. it back, of course, was from, you know, maybe uh, three quarters of the dial all the way to off. And so you could maybe <laughs> have seen some of this coming from these guys. Some of them were willing to talk. Like Curtis Jacobs um, was a guy who basically – Seemed as if he had no interest in playing under any kind of a snap count. Uh, Caden Wallace uh, was not available, or he was available, and didn't really get into any of the specifics Rather, with that. So I get all sides of this. I get the player side of it. I get the coaching side of it, and I get the fan side of it. Those that are saying, you know, we paid all this money to go to Atlanta. We thought we were going to see all these guys play more than they did, and we're frustrated by it. Um, But that's kind of just where we're at in college football right now, right or wrong. Uh, and there's a lot to deal with. There's a lot of issues going on inside the sport. This, you know, to steal a line from James Franklin, we focus so hyper intently on Penn State here on the YouTube channel at BlueWayIllustrated.com with all of you in the Penn State football community. Uh, Penn State's not the only team that had this issue. Uh, is it yeah. maybe the one in a New Year's Six game? No, of course not. Let's not forget about Florida State. Uh, maybe that was a little bit more public. Ohio State, too. Those. Ohio State. I was yeah. reading this morning. Uh, Guys, Marvin Harrison Jr. traveled to the Cotton Bowl and practiced with the Buckeyes and then did not play. So, and there was never any announcement of that. It was a very similar situation to uh, what Kaylin King did. And I'm not saying any of it's right or wrong, but there's this uh, prevailing sense I get that Penn State and, and is James Franklin and their coaching staff and players are the only ones that did this. And again, if, whether it's right or wrong is going to come down mostly to the uh, eye, you know, the, the eye that you look at this with, but. Uh, this is kind of where the game of college football is at. And as we expand into the world of a 12-team playoff, I don't see any way how it doesn't get worse if you're not in that playoff. That That's a great point. Um, I love how the first 7 minutes and 36 seconds of this uh, show, we're talking about opt-outs. That's where this starts. And it's accurate, but it's not necessarily all that much fun. And I want to get back to that point in just a second. But the first thing is, it's the new year. We are nine months away from Penn State football, but we are closer for high school football, uh, and and we are in the dead heat. I, I played high school football for one year, so I know winter conditioning, what that is like for high school football players. This is when you're building up for the next year, and it's not just about your ability to get bigger and stronger. It's about your ability to get translate all of those gains to the football field. And the best way that I have seen from what I've my limited interactions with him is Bruce Lombard at Lombard MMA has a special program for you. The only comprehensive hand fighting program video set for football players available. So if you have a son, maybe you have a football team, you want to get them better. If you're watching the, uh, the blue white illustrated YouTube channel, um, and you're seeing on screen, former Penn state defensive tackle, Anthony Zettel going through these hand fighting techniques, you can see visually how this relates to football, how you defeat hands, how you get past blocks and how you get into the backfield over two hours of hand fighting and hand speed techniques. There are 25 techniques, 60 drills, four levels of difficulty, guys. Football hand fighting program has been used by uh, the New York Giants, Houston Texans, Alabama, who was in the college football playoff, Washington, in the college football playoff as well. This benefits defensive linemen, linebackers, receivers, be the best hand fighter and gain an edge on the football field. And here's the best thing. This was a Christmas deal, but Bruce is fundamentally a good dude. So he's giving you an extended opportunity to get 15% off. Use promo code 15BWI to get 15% off at LombardMMA.com backslash shop. Once again, you can see that on the screen. If you're watching the YouTube channel, I'll give it to you one more time lombardmma.com backslash shop or you can email him directly to set up any private training you might be interested in doing because he does that as well he privately trains some Penn State football players here in town there is a boxing course that we almost I, I almost never get to this to talk about this there's a boxing course about how to teach offensive linemen how to use their non-dominant hand how to use hand fighting eye and hand coordination all of this stuff there's too much we can we can't get into all of it so you need to go to Bruce Bruce at MMAFX dot net that's bruce at mmafx.net appreciate him being part of the show also want to shout out um one of our show sponsors here factor it's the new year i have been treating my body horribly from uh 15 pounds of sugar i think i've eaten since christmas um alcohol uh food delicious meats 
cured meats, all of this stuff is going to wreck your body over time. It's the new year, time to start your new diet. Factor can help with that. Nate, you've had some of these factor boxes. If you're a busy person, how convenient are these factor boxes they send you? Super convenient. You, you don't have to make your food for the day. You just pop it in the microwave if that's how you want to do it. Or in my case, uh, you know, I think it's 11 minutes maybe in the <laughs> oven at 400 degrees. It's, it's an 11 minutes worth taking, though. Uh, great food. It's great food. It's never frozen. Uh, yeah, I'm not reading anything. I, I just they sent me a box and it was awesome. So uh, full throated support from Nate Bauer. I will, I will do the reading and some of the information you need. Factor Meals are dietitian and chef created so that they are tuned into healthy eating and giving you a nutritious meal. It's not a bunch of, uh, how do I say this, frozen high school lunches that they send you. These are actual meals with flavors and real ingredients. Nate and I are very particular about food, um, and, and, and they are awesome. They can also help with some dietary stuff if there are things that you can you can't eat. You can do those. They've got protein plus meals. They've got smoothies, which I haven't talked enough about. Those were awesome. You pop one of those open. It's a snack between meals. It's super nutritious. You get a lot of fiber. You get a lot of that stuff. And once again, if you use the promo code BWI50, you get 50% off factormeals.com backslash BWI. Use promo code BWI to get 50% off. Um, I appreciate them being a part of the channel. And if you're looking for that New Year's diet, start. That's a great way to start things out. It, you're not thinking about it. Steven says this, one of the first, I think this is the first comment in the chat. He says, I'm more disappointed in James Franklin telling Penn State fans uh, they're going to have players. Then you look in the second half and to pull the roster to see who all of these young players are. This is, this is the conversation. I, I, I agree with Steven about all of the things that led into the game. We talked about Penn State players, and I called it the opt-in culture. These guys are available. They're going to be a part of this. They're coming to the game. And then that wasn't really the case. And, and Nate, I know you're chomping at the bit here. I well, what? Did, he, did he say that? Did he say what? That all these players were going to play. Uh, did, like, I mean, Greg, you were there all week. Did, did he yeah. say that? No. Or so was he asked and it did? Go, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. Uh, was he asked? He was asked about Kalen King uh, and Kalen King playing in his introductory news conference. And I think that's what a lot of this stems back to because yeah. the impression that was clearly left there, uh, despite James Franklin never saying, but certainly implying, uh, was that Kalen King was there and he was going to play. Now, you can certainly make the argument he never uh, ex expressly said that, but right. I think that's what a lot of this ties back to. But no, if, you, if you're talking about Curtis Jacobs, Caden Wallace, uh, Adisa Isaac, uh, some of these other guys that did not uh, Olu Fashanu, uh, you know, look, I, I, Olu's the one that's like, if you really thought he was going to play a lot in this game, I'm sorry, but it wasn't going to happen. You can maybe yep. nitpick the other Theo Johnson. Sure. But uh, yeah, I'll get, like, get it over to you, Nate, but no, he never expressly uh, uh, said that those guys were going to play, but he did talk about the fact that, you know, they feel like they have a good thing going in. We've heard throughout the month of December, the conversations that they have that, can lead to guys not opting out. But as yep. you wrote at blueillustrate.com on Monday, Nate, these things are fluid. They sure are. And, and that's that the part, Nate, I do want to get to that part because I think that that's the, the impression I have coming out of this game. But how much is that? How much is that what James Franklin knew at the time? And how much is that something that happened, you know, these things progress over time? Yeah, I think, I think that, um, you know, how do I put this without starting a fire? that things happen that aren't always anticipated. Uh, and so what's the timeline on that? I, I am willing to say that I think, and reading between the lines on some of the things that he said in the post game, that some or at least one decision was made literally in warmups right? Literally as the game is preparing to, to take place. Hey coach, I'm not going to be there in the second half, right? Like, uh Oh, that's, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it's, it's a question of how much time are the coaches given to prepare for these things? How much are you organizing around it? Right. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just such a mess. Like it's just, it's just so messy right now 
in college football. Kirby Smart is is who I jumped from uh, for the column that I wrote yesterday. If you haven't checked it out, check it out at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Like, don't forget James Franklin, right? Because he didn't overtly or specifically complain about the opt-outs as much as he probably could have mm-hmm. after the game. Listen to Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart's talking about how their game was just, it's not a game. It's not, there's, there's no integrity to it. There's no, yeah. uh, it, you can't take it seriously when you have that much personnel transition for one reason or another, whether it's opt-outs, transfers, what have you, the gap between the end of the regular season and the next game, which is a bowl, usually a month plus later, is too much in college football. It, it is too ridiculous. And that includes staff changes. It's just, it's just, it is, it is, it is too, I mean, God, I hate to do it. Too many moving parts. It's too many moving parts. So James Franklin's right. And it has a major impact on what happens. For those that didn't hear it, these are James Franklin's opening comments. We'll just play a, a, port of, a, por- a portion of it of which we're talking about here. Just too many moving parts um, with the staff and, and with the players uh, against a good team. Uh, too many moving parts, staff and players, to have the type of success uh, that we wanted to have today. Um, I won't get into all the details. I, I thought the officiating uh, was was less than than desirable. So I think that's another kind of sour moment for Penn State fans coming out of the game. Is the that those were the first words, other than thanking the Peach Bowl and the fans. His assessment of the game is too many moving parts. And the refs were bad. Uh, and I don't think Penn State fans who are want accountability and want their pound of flesh, James I Franklin starts with the other things. And I'm not saying that I agree with that. I'm just saying that is what's going on here in the chat. Um, yeah. That is, you know, we've got we've got the same. We're playing the hits here to start the show. <laughs> James Franklin, one in 13 against top 10 teams. Rose Bowl against Utah team that lost veteran starting quarterback in the third quarter. We're going to poke holes in every re- part of the resume because there's a certain portion is just we're out, you know, uh, on James Franklin. We're doing all of these things. So anyway, um, that particular conversation after the game, the other thing I want to talk about that is a very, is a big mystery. What do you guys know that you can talk about here about Dante Cephas? Because we didn't see him in the game, and James Franklin was asked about him and said it was a depth chart decision. Um, Nate, that is another where we were. Where were the wide receivers in the game? One of your more productive ones at the end of the season doesn't play. This I feel like is an undercurrent to the conversation of opt outs. I I don't know, but Nate, what are we doing with the Dante Cephas conversation? Yeah, let's uh, let's all keep our eyes open over the next few days. I think it's probably yeah. a fair way to look. Like, uh, do I know? Am I certain that things are going to happen? No, but is it a, a fairly safe bet that that Dante Cephas won't be at Penn State next year? Absolutely. Right. It's just let's read between the lines here. Um, you know, look, there there is a lot of, of stuff there at receiver. You've got Trey Wallace coming back from injury and had some level of production, had a touchdown there at the end of the game, mm-hmm. uh, but not not enough. Right. It, it's just it's this confluence of. All right. Drew, Drew didn't have a good game, but like bottom line didn't from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Drew didn't have a good game. Yep. We're, you know, how like the contrast in receivers from Ole Miss to Penn State was startling. They were that good at Ole Miss that like that was the perform. Like I'm I'm generally watching things through the lens of Penn State, certainly. Yeah. So I can I can look at Penn State's receivers performances through the season and say, ah, comparatively, that was better than what we've seen. It's yeah, it's fine. And then, but you, then you watch Ole Miss. It was like, whoa, yeah. Those guys, like, if you get it in the vicinity, those guys are catching it. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know if those guys just had a great day, if Dart just had a great day, or if that's just maybe the standard that exists out there uh, for for what expectations should be, and and really how short Penn State fell against them this season. I'll clean this up at the end. Some of my thoughts of what watching film, but Greg, what were your thoughts of the Penn State offense and and what you saw from them in 
I've compared these things the tale of two halves. The first half is very different than the second half because of what happened in the third quarter. So um, what did you see from the offense overall, um, if maybe looking at it from a different lens than that? Yeah, I mean, I watched the Eagles on Sunday. It was the same thing as watching Penn State on Saturday. <laughs> it's the simplest way I can boil it down to some degree. But, no, I mean, you look at this offense, it was what it was all year. I think, going back to Nate's point, they may have a month to prepare for a bowl game, but you don't reinvent who you are overnight. You can't – I mean, you can make some improvements uh, that show up on game day during that month of bowl prep, but – I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of are what you are. And especially when you're dealing with interim coordinators on both sides of the ball, certainly on offense. Uh, this was not a, a splendid Ole Miss defense by any stretch, but it did some things that gave Drew Aller pause, gave the receivers pause. And, you know, outside of Tyler Warren, you know, again, to go back to the point Nate just made, uh, Tyler Warren kind of matched Utah, or I'm sorry, not Utah, Ole Miss's uh, very good tight end stride for stride. But you think of some of those one-handed catches he made, the Ole Miss yeah. tight end. And oh. I mean, Tyler Warren had that great catch. Let's, let's go back to that. But I mean, it, do you? Or we, we clearly didn't see any Penn State receivers or ball catchers, if you want to include the tight ends, of course, and the running backs in that, uh, make any of those kind of plays. Now, were they afforded the opportunity to? No, not really. But uh, it just kind of was an example, uh, another example of what we saw for most of the year, which is that you have guys that are clearly trying to put the work in to improve, clearly want to be better uh, you know, than what they are showing on game days. But for whatever reason, a combination of play calling, game day execution by the quarterback, game day execution by other parts of the offense, uh, it doesn't typically work as well as they would like it to. And that's kind of been a, a thing that has been talked about at nauseum uh, during the season. And now we're here for an offseason where it's going to continue to be the trend. So, yeah, look, there's no reason to beat around the bush here. I, I don't have to scroll through all the chat comments or or go read social media or go read the message board. Everyone wants to talk about, you know, Drew Aller's role in this offense all season long. And in the, the Peach Bowl, and to echo what Nate said, I mean, he did not play his best game. And it's going to obviously, quite frankly, and quite clearly be on Andy Kolonicki and his uh, coaching staff, uh, but him in particular, uh, to get Drew Aller to a better place next year and get this offense to a better place. And we're going to spend the next yeah. night talking about how they can do that. Will they do that? There'll be a lot of skepticism of if they can do that. But that's just kind of where we're at right now. He had a season where the stats... I think we're very good and you would take them, but there were not enough of those game changing type of plays mixed in with those stats that, you know, uh, keeps you from being in the position Penn State's in right now. Uh, Rob Sherrill here nails this particular part of the conversation. Play calling is an indication of who the staff trusts to make plays. Look at the last three games of the season and where the targets went. And that will tell you exactly who the coaching staff, not Mike Yersich, trusted with the football. Um, to, to the question and the conversation about the wide receivers and how they did not play to the level of Ole Miss. They didn't play to the level of, you know, not getting a target or a catch until the third quarter. They had three tight ends on the field for much of their dropback passing game. How are you supposed to target receivers when they are a, a, an addendum on the offense? And to me, like, if you're talking about scheme and football and concepts, I cover this, you know, on the show tomorrow where we, we're doing a, a breakdown of the game. I'm going to have this out in T. Frank's film room. The run game is out already. But if you are operating an offense with three tight ends, everything is right here in the middle of the field. You do not have the ability to stretch the field. Look at what happened to the Penn State defense and how they had to expand to cover the entire field and they couldn't stack the box to stop the run like they have all year because there were receivers on the field that threatened outside the numbers. They talk about it to the point that we just kind of ignore it on the broadcast or here on the show or whatever. Penn State has zero threats outside the numbers and they designed the offense after they, uh, you know, with Ty Howell and Jay Wan Sider to get the ball to the running backs and tight ends who line up in the tackle box all the time, unless they're outside in a non-standard position. So this is the offense and operating within that Drew Aller's job is harder, but he didn't look good and he did not play with a level of confidence um, that goes to a guy who can elevate that situation. JC Corgan asks, what is Aller's biggest issue? Timing, accuracy, psychological. To me, like this is an issue of confidence, getting him to pull the trigger because the point of Drew Aller is he is a passer. 
He's supposed to make those explosive plays with his arm because he doesn't do it with his legs. This is a this is a question I asked uh, on Sunday night in an article I wrote. And Nate, I asked you, am I being fair about this to ask this yep. question? Now I'm just going to ask you this question here. Is Drew Aller at this point a reclamation project? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I don't, I, I think that look, the, the pass, the, the, the interception obviously was a bad decision in a collapsing pocket. Um, yep. it's a good, no, does it happen? Yes. Uh, he made plays with his feet on Saturday that I think are undervalued or being under right. That that's a difference and something yeah. that he needed to do through the season that uh, wasn't happening earlier, but took some strides in down the stretch. Uh, I, I think that under different circumstances, like <laughs> I just, I can't take myself out of my lens. Right. And so right. my lens is that, Hey, everyone, I was telling you this last year. That's my, like, like, to me, that's the whole thing is, man, don't you, if you're a Penn State fan, Sean Clifford wasn't appreciated. Like, you, we didn't talk about him enough. He, the, the things that he did well, the experience that he had, all of those tools that Sean Clifford have that are not there for Drew Aller at this point in his development are they're there. They're right in front of you. The contrast is clear. Yeah. However, however, and again, this is just how I tend to see things. Give him an off season. Get, like give him. Okay. This was his first year as a true starting quarterback. Okay. You, you have those reps that is in the books. Did some things really well. His protection of the football. I, I get it. People don't think, think it's sexy. It, it, is effective. It's a good thing for him to protect the football like that. Uh, some of his games were very good. He he did have good performances against better competition and under circumstances that Penn State found itself in, right? Specific to these three games against Ohio State, Michigan, and then Ole Miss. What was what was the the continuum there? They were behind. They were playing from behind in all three of those games and Penn state and drew Aller did not respond to those conditions well at all. But with those experiences with an off season, with a new offensive coordinator, with different pieces around him, presumably yeah. un unknown yet in the, in the transfer portal at wide receiver, things have an opportunity to get better, but I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm going to guarantee it. That he, so, that he is through the woods. He's not. This is the problem, is that we're taking this year and extrapolating it to infinity, that, that Drew Aller can't get better. And I, I'm, I shouldn't be feeding a ravenous dog a bone, but you got Julius Caesar in here. His only point today, and his only point all season, has been Drew Aller is not good. Drew needs a U-Haul headed west of Bowling Green. He <laughs> thinks that that's the level of talent Drew Aller has. So that's not correct. The answer is somewhere in the middle. But Greg, what do you think about this situation and the future of the quarterback position for Penn State under a new offensive coordinator? Is there hope there that this can turn around and those talents are unlocked? Because that's the next that's the next wind in the sail of hope for Drew Aller reaching the levels that we expected maybe too early. And I'm in this boat too early for him to be the savior of the offense that makes all of the problems better. Do you think that that is still a possibility for him? And do you think that this next wave of hope, there is development to be had so that, you know, we aren't here next year? Yeah. I mean, look, there's always going to be hope when you make a coaching staff change that is in large part directed toward fixing all the problems you thought the last guy had. And that clearly is as much schematic as it is player development. So, you know, I, I'm not ready to give, you know, it's funny because I think we too often look at these things through the prism of wins and losses. I don't, I, I strongly believe we are not having this length of a conversation. If a conversation at all about Drew Aller, if Penn state wins that game, and so and yeah. it wins a peach bowl. And so I think, you know, we rush to, to turn losses into, you know, these major questions about other things. When in reality, right. um, 
if the outcome was different, the, the tone of the conversation would be different. So, you know, with Drew Allard, look, I mean, again, I think Nate said it. There's times this season he looked very good and you saw what was expected and what everyone thought he could be out of high school. And at times you saw him as a first year starting quarterback who had not uh, put all of the pieces together yet and had not, uh, you know, it was not playing with enough weapons around him uh, to be able to hide or uh, at least massage to some degree some of those uh, things he was still learning. So I just think, number one, uh, the backup quarterback, as we have long discussed on this program, is always everyone's favorite player. So that's part yeah. of this, I think. But, you know, again, when you look at Drew, I, I do think there's things to build on. I do think that. There are things that if you truly went back, take out the wins and losses and just look at the plays, which I know is what you do in the T. Frank film room, that you will find things that are positive. You will you find, find them things in that, the game, in the game we're talking about right now. Bowl. Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I, there's just this rush to say, well, you know, he was uh, let me pull it up here. 19 of 39 for 295 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and you know an interception. And there's this rush to say, well, he did nothing good in that game. He was part of the reason they lost. And sure, he was. But you know, I think he's taking a bigger slice of the plot, a pie, uh, that it's probably is warranted. So I'm not ready to give up on him yet. But look, I mean, it's just I'm not saying anything you guys don't know. And, and for all you listeners out there, I, I think you know it too. If you really stop and think about it, again, when you end the season on a losing note, and you had the year that Penn State had. Uh, everything is going to be second guessed. Everything is going to be viewed with skepticism going into 2024. And I'm not saying it's, you know, right, wrong, whatever. That's just kind of where we're at at this point. We're going to have this same conversation and the same comments. And I'll let you talk here in a second. The same comments in the chat, like for endless, you know, for months to come, no matter what we tell you, coaches tell you players, it's just not going to matter. So to me, that's where Penn State's at right now. But for me personally, I look at it as, this was not, by any stretch of the imagination, a lost season for Drew Aller. It was not one for Penn State. Did they finish the way they wanted to? No. Did they lose to Ohio State, Michigan, and the Peach Bowl? Yes. All of those things are true. Uh, but I think there's more to build on here than people want to accept at the moment, and I think they'll realize that down the road. I I, th I think that the, the very heart of this conversation is – is Drew Aller a national championship winning quarterback? Is, mm -hmm. is Penn State a yes. national championship winning program? Right. Yes, that is and, absolutely the exact point to make. Correct. Right? It's it's not about how good he is because he's good. He's a good quarterback. Yeah. But that's not the answer that anyone wants to hear. He's a good quarterback. Like right, like that. The tone in my the Ugh. like. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants that. Nobody wants that. People verbal want... shoulder shrug is what you got yeah. there. Yeah. Pe pe and and that's that is true of the entirety of the program. Is Penn State had, I would argue, for all but a few areas, a playoff worthy defense this season. Right. Mm -hmm. they, they were really good. They yep. were really good, and they were good all year until Ole Miss, and we all know the reasons why they weren't the same defense against Ole Miss that they were earlier in the season. Is Penn State's offense, are, is there anything about Penn State's offense that you can look at and say, man, if, if they just do a couple of tweaks, if Drew just gets a little bit better, if the offensive line just gets a little bit better, if the receivers get a little bit better, that they're a national championship caliber offense. To me, the answer is no. <laughs> okay. No, in the sense that the the receivers aren't close. Drew yeah. isn't isn't close at that level. Good, not not at that level, not right now. Could he become that? Maybe. I I, I honestly I, I don't know. I don't I don't so have a vibe, T Frank. The, I mean But this is the point, I guess, is that and this is where where the the people that are out on Drew Aller is that this is a binary conversation. You have it or you don't. And right. there is a clear, the minute you step on the field, you either have the it factor or you don't, and you don't learn it and you don't become that thing. It is something that is a part of your personality. Maybe it's your star sign. Maybe he's not a Leo and he's a Sagittarius or some nonsense like that, where he just, the, whatever it is, he doesn't have it, so we're moving on. 
And you're absolutely right that it's about national championship quality caliber first round draft pick quarterback that can get you there. Um, because it elevates and fixes all the other problems on the roster that do with recruiting and NIL, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One guy can make a big difference in football at that particular position. T Frank, let, let me, let me ask the question. Sure. How many teams you watched every game this season, mm-hmm. how many big 10 teams would trade for drew Aller tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> I think all but Michigan, um, of the ones that Penn state played. Okay. Kyle McCord obviously was not the fit at Ohio State. He transferred. Um, Talia Tungavaloa is the other player, I would say, two guys that probably outperformed Aller within the game. Yeah. And and so I think that we can take that sentiment and expand it to the whole of college football. Yeah. Which is to say, he is better. There are so many programs that would kill to have Drew Aller and let's let's put it out there are making offers to him right now every single player on this penn state team right nick yep. singleton's getting offers uh katron allen is getting offers drew aller is getting offers all of these guys through back channels are being targeted by other programs the question is are they being targeted by programs that are at in the final four right and the answer right now probably is no but there is so much of the college football landscape that would kill for these guys. It's just a matter of Penn State being able, as a coaching staff, and in its developmental arm, being able to get them in the right positions to get over the top. And it's so hard. It's just really, really hard to do. And you see that all over the place. But I just, I think it's so important to put some context to this of they're not, they're not like miserable. This isn't, this isn't a horrible Penn state football program. It's just, and, and, and these aren't horrible players. Drew Aller isn't a bad football player. He's a good football player. They just, they just, there are steps that can be taken that obviously they will spend nine months working on mm-hmm. to get them into a position to where they can make the plays that they weren't able to make this season. Nate, you make some great points. Um, it's not about, uh, it's about, being good right and it's about being in the place that you are and not always looking over your fence at your neighbors but sometimes you do want to strive for the best possible thing and that includes your future my perfect franchise is the way to get to your new future uh check out andy myperfectfranchise.net he's been here with the show you've probably heard me talk about him before if you're a regular here my perfect franchise and andy ludicky he is a franchise consultant that puts people with the experience into businesses that they can run and then make money and dictate their future uh he always jokes that he has unlimited pto because he is uh, the boss of himself so he can decide when he takes time off when he works hard and it can be a part of his family's life if that or maybe you want a new future from a financial standpoint you've been stuck in a good job but they're not utilizing uh your full talents or you want to be the person making the money you want to be making money for yourself not somebody else doesn't matter what's going on with the economy there's always something that is moving and shaking and he's the guy that has the experience to find uh you the business to manage more importantly he's here to get you uh, into a position where you can use your skills consider franchise ownership um, from a hands-off or hands-on perspective, check all of it out. You can have a free conversation with him to help uh, any questions you might have to get over the hump. We've got a lot. We've got a couple of Blue White Illustrated Lions Den message board members that actually have taken the plunge and become franchise owners. So check them out. 404-973-9901. That's 404-973-9901. Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Or you can just message him directly on the Blue White Illustrated message board. Great time to remind you. You can sign up for two months and get that for a dollar right now all right so i have kind of washed my brain of the drew aller conversation um well don't don't let that it won't happen uh it won't be for long (laughs) t frank it ain't going anywhere (laughs) yeah but in in the in the sense of the train of thought of what we were going to and greg i do want to come back to you for your your opinion on this in terms of i asked you about the future and is there hope under andy koltelnicki but that receiver position um is is a huge part of this conversation as nate pointed out 
uh, you know, there's there's a lot of moving parts this offseason. We have heard very little from the transfer portal. Are you concerned that Penn State isn't going to be able to fix this uh, for next year and they're going to be playing with the guys that they have on the roster who, just judging on the way that the season finished, were not an emphasis from the offense to design plays around? Yeah, I guess two thoughts there. Number one, I'm not sure how you could say anything, but you're concerned about it, regardless of what Penn State does in the portal. Uh, you know, you look at this receivers room and the key Andy Kolonicki is brought in to fix is how do you, you know, the thing, I, the, the phrasing I keep going back to that we heard all throughout November and December is this idea of, you know, bringing out a player's strengths and then maximizing them. And that wasn't yep. necessarily being done before. And that was part of what Penn State wants in the future. Well, these guys have to do something well. They wouldn't be here otherwise. And so I think that is clearly what the, the you're going to have to hang your hat on if you're looking for improvement out of whatever returns from this room uh, in 2024 is can his scheme, can the way he does things, uh, in addition to whatever they may bring in from the portal, from the class of 2024, whatever, uh, can they get enough? As we saw in last night's college football playoff semifinals, Okay, so Washington obviously uh, has three tremendous guys that can catch the ball, and more than that, yeah. really. I mean, but, you know, not every team that, that won or lost yesterday does, but they can still do things on offense to stay competitive, and that's where Penn State needs to get to. And obviously the biggest games of the year, right? You know, again, we're going back to this kind of the same revolving thing here in the games that get you into the college football playoff, in the games yeah. that get you into conference title games. So that's the challenge now. Concern? Yeah, of course, uh, but – it's going to, again, it's going to be a long offseason because we can sit here and talk about, think about, read about, watch about, hear about what Andy Kolnicki can do with the guys on offense to get the strengths to a level uh, where Penn State can put itself in the conversation to be either in the Big Ten title game or the expanded playoff next year. But I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't have a magic eight ball. So to sit here and tell you that he's going to be the savior that fixes everything, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, can you see some things throughout the season, whether it's the Omari Evans deep pass at Michigan State or whether it's, you know, Liam Clifford doing some things in the bowl game or whether it's uh, the ways that uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen have evolved in the past game or Tyler Warren coming back. Can you see some things and imagine Andy Kolonicki cooking them all together uh, in addition to what Drew Aller can do, has done and will possibly be able to do and imagine things looking better next year? Yeah, you can. Uh, can you guarantee it's going to taste the way people want it to taste when it's done being cooked? No, of course not. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think concerned is a perfect way uh, to put it. And, and there's just no other way to look at it there's a lot of improvement that has to happen and that work is legitimately not even underway yet starting uh here next week when the spring semester kicks off uh steven light has this in the chat i'm not quite sure what he means but he's talking about transfer quarterbacks uh michael Penix, bo Nix, and Jaden daniels all had less I than ideal supporting cast but all looked like uh, all had the look of an upper division quarterback prior to transfer i guess saying they were this goes better back to the than confidence their situation. thing that no, yeah. this goes back to the whole confidence thing and and does he have it or does Drew have it or does he not? That's all we're getting at there, I think. Uh, Steve, you know how to get us and me, if not. But, uh, you know, again, um, that again, the, another thing that's going to be endlessly debated. Does he have it? Does he not? Is he the guy? Is he not? And he is. For Penn State in 2024, he is the guy. Whether he has mm -hmm. the things to be the guy to get Penn State to where everybody in the fan base wants them to go, there's a lot of work to do, but you know, this whole conversation, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this whole conversation, I guess of, you know, well, what, 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 what is the alternative here? Um, you know, where is Penn state going to make a move that is going to change things so significantly that, uh, you know, they'll get better play under center. I think there's ways that they can utilize Bo Pagula better. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that if you put him in the QB one role that everyone's going to get the results that they're hoping for. Uh, and yeah. then, so that, that's just kind of where I'm at on this whole conversation. Nate, take us in a different direction, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is turning into the drew hour debate show and there's so many other things going on. Can you give us a perspective of, you know, uh, you, you've you've hinted at this, but like, what is it like right now to try and build a better situation for Penn State football? Uh, the transfer portal window is closing pretty quickly, right? So, mm -hmm. any to get guys on campus for this winter semester, there has not been a whole lot of movement in the portal. We know Penn State's needs at certain positions. We've gone over those here on the show. We haven't heard the one oh. 
edition they got ended up at uh, Maryland uh, while we were all on Christmas vacation. So, like, what what's the next step here for this team? Yeah, look, I, I think that, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I am assuming Julian Fleming will be at Penn State next season. Uh, Are we allowed to assume that? Like, I don't know the rules of what I, we're allowed to do here. I, I agree I, with you, but like, I'm sorry. I don't know the, what we're supposed the, to do. <laughs> the Blaze Alexander truck isn't coming from any other school. Yeah. It, like, let's just. And if it is right, if it, if he pulls a fast one and ends up not at Penn State next Monday. OK, it right. It, uh, all right. We'll deal with that when that comes in a week. But right now. My assumption is that Julian Fleming will be at Penn State next year and that it is significant, right? That's a significant change to the receivers room for Penn State. Um, you know, it would help, I think, to have this conversation when most of that stuff shakes out. Yeah. Keandre Lambert Smith has not given an indication one way or the other what he's going to do next year, right? That that That's a big piece of this. Uh, Omari Evans, Trey Wallace, you you name it. I, I just think that understanding what the receivers room looks like next season is a huge piece of our perceptions mm-hmm. in terms of, I don't know. I, I saw in Nick Singleton and Katron Allen throughout this season, guys that still have it guys yeah. that still right. And in, and in fact, Nick's touchdown in that game on Saturday was like just to me, another flashing red light of, Hey, this is what you have. If you can get him the ball, Julian Fleming stinks. Yeah. Yep. Here we go. go. And and there, you know, there's the other problem. You Um, can't be happy about anything. Although this is Che Harbaugh with a Michigan logo. So, you know, maybe this is into Penn state fan. But I can't I can't look at Julian Fleming from the lens of nationally. I have to yeah. look at him from the lens of what does the rest of the room look like at Penn State? Yeah. And is there somebody else out there who is obviously better that Penn State is going to get or got? And the answer is no, not not yet. Uh, right. I, I just I think that that some of these things have to shake themselves out. But it, at minimum bolstering that room is such a high priority. You, you got to take what you can get that yeah. you can count on that you think is going to be an improvement to, to what you have now. And based on what we've seen so far out of that group, that there's a lot of room for development. There's a, there's a lot of room for improvement based on the personnel that you have. Here's another, I guess, situation that comes out of a one-off game. Penn State defense playing without some of the players that they weren't going to have next year anyway, Greg. Does that game change your perception of the Penn State defense coming back for 2024 and some of the guys they have in the secondary and some of the things that they you saw from them against uh, probably the best receiver quarterback combo they saw all season? Yeah, a few things on that. Number one, I feel like this Penn State Bowl game uh, – performance on defense uh the part of the conversation that is getting all discussion is no Kalen King no Johnny Dixon no Chop Robinson and that's fair and Adisa Isaac was limited of course but um I think this game looks different and, and Lane Kiffin even kind of talked about it didn't say it directly afterwards but you know Abdul Carter was causing problems and then yes, he gets he hit was. low on what should have been a flag and he could not really at that point go sideline to sideline he was kind of just I don't want to say he was a decoy out there, but he was at a point where, you know, it was time for him to come out of the game. He finally did. And that changed the Penn State defense maybe as much as anything. Uh, yep. Certainly the version that we thought, you know, we did, at that point we had accepted was going to play a majority of the game. That changed what they had out there. He's a game wrecker. So you're down game record Chop Robinson. You're down your top two cornerbacks. You're down for a good chunk of this game. Uh, you're, I mean, you're 1A, 1B pass rusher and Adisa Isaac. Who's your best player on the field at that point? It's either, uh, you know, it's, it's Abdul Carter in terms of a guy who can make plays that can change a game, <clears throat> excuse me, and turn a loss into a win. So you have that part of the equation as well. So, no, this game doesn't change much for me. I think if you go back and watch the plays that Cam Miller and uh, that whom I'm drawing a blank here, uh, Zion Tracy, uh, yeah. they, they were in position more often than not. 
you know, when Jackson Dart is dropping balls in the bucket and his receivers are, you know, in perfect position, uh, there's not oftentimes a lot of things cornerbacks can do, which is why a lot of them like to play offense because it's a lot easier to play. And so, uh, you know, I don't I'm not as pessimistic about some of these things. And now, do are they going to have holes to fix? Yes. To Nate's point about guys coming back, there's stuff to figure out on that side of the ball, too. Obviously, uh, Daquan Hardy was another guy who's off to the NFL. He played a, a lot in this game, though. But, you know, on the interior of the defensive line, guys have stay or go decisions to make with that extra COVID year. Uh, we know Curtis Jacobs will not be back. So, I mean, there's a lot to do here in terms of Tom Allen getting here and installing a system that's going to have a lot of new starters in place. But in terms of this Peach Bowl performance itself, souring me on the potential of the Penn State defense for 2024. No, it doesn't. But the thing I wrote yesterday that's going to have to be remembered when we're doing this show in September and maybe the Penn State defense is not number one in the country is that it's going to be really hard to replicate the season that Penn State had on defense during the regular season in 2023 in 2024. And that was going to be the case whether – in my opinion, whether Manny Diaz was still here or not. Nate, any thoughts on the defense you want to add here? I just, I'm reading the chat. People are mad. I know this is the problem I get. This is where I get in the show where I, when I get distracted or we get kind of down the wrong path here, it's because like the level of frustration from Penn state fans in the chat right now is like six beers deep (laughs) on a, on a Tuesday morning, morning, on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, uh, I do not share their mindset in, yeah. in a lot of instances. I, I think that this is a, I, I mean, I, KJ, I, I get it. I get that. It's your therapy session. Look, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. Um, let me think about this on Saturday night after the game. All right. Hanging out at the hotel bar in Atlanta. Right. And it's been, it's a lot of Penn state fans, people rolling through one guy comes up to me and is like, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. So if I misremember this also, there may have been a beer or two involved before <laughs> this interaction took place, but he was kind of staring me down. And, uh, I was like, wait, wait, whatever, you know, Hey, what's up? Um, kind of staring me down and then walked by and was like, Hey, really, really like what you guys do. Just wish you would ask tougher questions like like that is a common theme that you've heard. Right. Uh, I've, I've gotten that as well of people are dissatisfied. They think that, you know, James Franklin, we need to uh, be combative with James Franklin. Correct. Like it has right. to be a conflict for it to be you to be doing your job as a, as a journalist. And, and so the, the conversation, the way that the conversation went, though, and, th- and this, this is kind of the point I'm driving at, though is say, you know, as we talk, it, he's like, you know, I don't want to waste your time, whatever. I'll, and I'm like, Hey man, like, I'm happy to like, let's talk, let, let me hear it. I, I want to hear your, your side of things. I want to hear what, what you're frustrated by. I want to hear all of this stuff. Let's see if we can talk some of this stuff out. Yeah. And the point is after the conversation from point A to point B in between those 15 minutes, it, the tenor changed from oh, you, you guys need to ask tougher question into, yeah, you make some good points. Uh, I love what you guys do. You know, fresh, I'm frustrated by today. Yeah. Like it just, it relaxes. It, it, you found it a reasonable person. Look at that. It, it, but, but not at the beginning. Right. right. And so I, I, I tend to think that people, um, I, I get it. This is, this is a fresh loss for Penn state. But I, I just I'm I'm very much of the mindset that players play and win games. And in this specific instant, if you want to talk mm-hmm. about Ohio State and Michigan and have that conversation in the middle of the season about the program's preparedness to win those games. Absolutely. Right. Totally warranted. A hundred percent. This game felt different to me and it felt different to me because the best players weren't on the field. Like, and I just, I can't move past that. I can't, I'm, I'm unable to look at this in a, well, if, if they had schemed something up differently, that things would have gone differently. And more important that people would feel differently, right? Like the, the conversation about whether or not the cornerbacks got exposed, right? These backup cornerbacks, where was the pass rush? 
Nobody's like, like everybody's like, oh, Jackson Dart yeah. is is having this phenomenal day. Okay, does it change things if Chop Robinson is knocking him but on his butt over let, let, and over me, again? I can't, I can't. I got this thing in my head of like, you know, the there's a stat from this game that I have told three separate times, including I think on the post game. Jackson Dart got the ball out in 2.33 seconds on average. That is what Penn State has seen all year where they speed up the quarterback, but he was throwing the ball 10 yards down the field. That means there's no resistance from the secondary that he's able to plant his back foot and throw the ball. Uh, Denied Dennis Sutton did a good job of getting pressure and being kind of a one man wrecking crew, but he was getting a hand on the quarterback as the ball's out. So like, that's a frustrating thing from, from a schematic standpoint that I think also goes to Manny Diaz and uh, him not being there and his impact on the game and, and kind of the scheme because Penn State started playing pretty soft. They they were they they backed off for the first time this year because of what those receivers were doing. You you saw the difference though in its impact at the beginning of the game yeah. and as the game went on. The way that Jackson Dart looked in the first series wasn't great. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, we uh, they were all over him. Yeah. Uh, and anyway. Yeah, go ahead. I, I guess this is the last thing I have for the show. And this is something that I've been kind of mulling over um, for a while now, Greg. How did Penn State get here? Because, And by this, I mean the receiver room, where you've got three tight ends on the field, and you're scheming up um, your X receiver on a lot of your primary reads is Tyler Warren or Khalil Dinkins. That's your X receiver in this game in the first half. So I, the how did we get to a position where Penn State, even when things weren't great, they had a KJ Hamler, they had a Jahan Dotson, they had a Chris Godwin, they had there was an Allen Robinson, somebody. Maybe they didn't have three of them, but they always had a receiver. This year, this was bad. How did we get here? And I guess what what do you put on Marcus Hagens in this? environment of there was no number one receiver but could he have coached a guy into being a number one receiver do you think the talent was there for somebody to break out and it's you know just the kind of conversation coaching or talent I, how do you feel Pense got to this particular position I think that Marcus Hagens could have coached Trey Wallace into a number one receiver if he had a healthy and available Trey Wallace for a majority of this year and he did not and Keandre Lambert Smith, Penn State wanted him to be the guy, but he's uh, at best, I think, a number two. And if I think you would have seen a better Keandre Lambert Smith if you had a healthier Harris or a Trey Wallace to be kind of the focal point and let Keandre Lambert not be the focal point. I think that would have mm -hmm. changed this offense pretty significantly. But you know, when you look at the over the years of recruiting here, uh, go let's go back to 2021. Penn State gets Trey Wallace and Liam Clifford in that class. Let's not forget they had Lonnie White committed, and Lonnie White yeah. went to play baseball. And what would have changed about that class if Lonnie White either a said he was going to play baseball from the jump and Penn State focused its recruiting assets elsewhere sooner or B, came to play football. I, I, I You can't, yeah. I think, forget about that when you have this conversation. And then 2022, they go a little, you know, they go fairly heavy. Uh, and those guys have yet to get to the field, uh, except for Caden Saunders. And he has not played maybe as much as early as we thought back during his high school days. So I think it's a combination of just, yeah, you've had some development issues. Yeah, you maybe had some recruiting misses. And yeah, oh, by the way, the one of the higher rated receivers you had over the last couple of years uh, is now playing somewhere in Bradenton, Florida for the pit or somewhere in the minor league system of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, yeah. uh, but to answer your question and not belabor the point, because I know we're getting long here and my computer's about to die anyway, but uh, I do think Marcus Hagans probably would be viewed in a different light if Trey Wallace played, what was it, seven games? He played seven games this year, I believe. Or maybe it was Is six. It even I can't that remember. many? Wow. It may not even be that many. I'm not sure. I don't have it in front of me. It was a handful. Is probably a better way to put it. But I think the offense might be viewed differently, and Hagen's may be viewed differently, and the receivers' room might be viewed differently if he was healthy for the entirety of the season and was able to give this offense a spark. But we'll never know. And he was, you know, dinged up at the end of the Peach Bowl. So obviously, fairly or not, the health tag is going to follow him into 2024. So yeah, uh, that's just kind of where we're at at this point. But I, I just don't think there's any question that I don't think those guys talking throughout the lead up to the Peach Bowl about how important it was to get him back was lip service or just yeah. something 
they thought people wanted to hear. I genuinely believe it was true. Uh, we'll never know for sure, but that's kind of where I stand with that at this point in time. Seven games. Uh, he played eight snaps against Indiana, so I don't know if you count that as that a seventh game. No. Yeah, so six games he played in. Uh, Nate, like you said, people aren't super happy today, but you are a very positive person. I think you've changed my perspective of ah, maybe it's not as bad as it seems coming out of that game today. Give us one last positive nugget here to end the show. Ah, uh, boy. <laughs> I give you the hard task because you're you're our you're our QB one. Well, while you think, I will point out that the guy in the chat is right that he didn't get Julian Fleming the first time around. So that's obviously one part of that receiver conversation. And mm -hmm. you know, you had some transfer portal once that you didn't get to. So yeah, that's of course I just wanted to acknowledge that because that is absolutely a part of the conversation. But just specifically the room itself, how it got here, besides those misses in recruiting, I think we you know we covered a minute ago. Nate, have at it. I hope that was enough of a filibuster yeah. to find something to go out on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple of things. I think that watching that Michigan-Alabama game yesterday was um, a, a very good reminder of the razor's edge that most of this falls on and that the conversation we're having about Jim Harbaugh today is different from what it would have been had Blake Corum not, right? Like, if if a couple of things go differently, we're talking about a guy who can get them there but can't get them over the top. Um, and so, you know, I, I think my perception of the Penn State football program is one that does good work in the offseason. Uh, Zane Durant, Hakeem Beeman, mm -hmm. like think, think about some of the players that very demonstrably improved and took strides it through their weight training and nutrition and all, all, all that stuff. Uh, on the offensive line, you saw some of those success stories. Offensive line pieces that I think, given another offseason, have the opportunity. Uh, again, going back to Singleton and Allen, those guys, I, I, I understand how this sounds right now because people don't agree with it, but it's my opinion and I'm going to stick with it. Those guys overall were better players this season than they were last year. Even if the sexy long runs weren't there, those guys are better overall players. And so I, I tend to think teams with experience teams with uh some seniority tend to do better and uh, such a huge piece of what this Penn State team has been over the last two years is the freshmen from two years ago mm -hmm. sophomores from this season that will be juniors next year and and I, I do I, I do see lo lots of reasons to think that they will be very good mm -hmm. the question is that I cannot answer and I will not stand here and try to sell anyone on is whether or not very good will be enough to get over the top. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but, but the, the pessimism, this, this notion that the addition of UCLA Washington, which is going to be a drastically different team next season, uh, USC drastically different team next season, right? That, that yep. these additions to the schedule while losing Michigan uh, from the schedule are, are is like in some way a foregone conclusion. I, I don't think it is. I think that some of those teams and some of those games are Penn State's wheelhouse. That they're they're the type of games that Penn State is we collectively love to gloss over. But Penn State won at Wisconsin a couple of years ago. Penn State has beaten. Uh, it, right, that, that a team that won the Pac-12 last year. So I, I just I I think that this is an ongoing conversation and one that will not have resolution in terms of where Penn State is against the the absolute elite. I, I'm not there. I, I will not sit here and say that Penn State is at that point. They're not. But is Penn State in a position to compete and succeed against? Those teams, UCLA, USC, Washington next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, th I think so. I, I, like, would I guarantee it? Am I going to? No, of course not. But yeah. it, competitive, can Penn State be competitive with? Even Ole Miss, right? That like, It's not as though Penn State wasn't competitive in the first half. They were. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of what's the team that's going to take the field next season uh, and where will those other teams be? And, you know, we're going to have to wait and find out. So I just want one last, uh, maybe this is my, I have to get the last word thing in, but I just want to 
I want to say the last three games, Nate, you saw Penn State get the ball in the hands of Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, and they got explosive plays out of them. So yep. to your point, the, the evidence is on film that those dudes still have it. How do they get more explosive plays out of the rest of the offense? Everyone take a deep breath, hold it in for four, and relax. There are There's a long way to go. There's a lot of work to be done, and we are going to cover all of that. All the news, all the insight, all of the stuff that you need to know, specifically the reporting, bluewhiteillustrated.com. Great time to sign up now so you get all that off-season content because we're going to go dark in terms of like publicly acknowledged news and things our reporters have a pulse on what's going on you can find that at bluewhiteillustrated.com they're going to give you the insight we got basketball and wrestling that are heating up all that stuff over uh at the site so you can check it all out there but we'll be talking about it here on the channel all off season we're not going anywhere and we know based on the fact that you're here tuesday morning on the day after new year's day that you're not going anywhere either we'll talk to you on wednesday and we'll be back live on thursday Talk to you then.